Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, it's a short week, which means that Packers-Eagles on Thursday Night Football is almost here already. (laughs) It's Wednesday, and that means we're already to our Keys to Victory show because the game is on the horizon. I don't know where you want to start with this one. Packers offense, Packers defense. What's it going to take to win this one and get to 4-0? Well, let's actually go off of what you wrote uh, last night on Packers.com as we're taping the show Wednesday. You wrote Tuesday night yeah. uh, about this offense and Aaron Rodgers feeling like this is time you know, to get things clicking. You're getting to that fourth, pre- that fourth game of the regular season, almost at preseason there, <laughs> and you want to be able to finally get into a rhythm. They want to get Devontae Adams more opportunities. You've seen flashes of it, I think, throughout these first three games, and I honestly think you've seen a lot of progress too. But finding momentum, and the reason I say that specifically with this game is because there does appear to be an opportunity with this Philadelphia passing defense right yep. now. Ronald Darby has the hamstring injury. They are really beat up in the secondary so while they are very stout against the run and you know the, the way their penetration works, it is going to be difficult to get things going that way. I think there is a real chance in this game for Aaron Rodgers in the passing game to get into some rhythm. Yeah, I don't like to declare a game on a short week as any kind of a barometer for anything because these quick turnarounds yeah. and everything, you just never know what's going to happen in a Thursday night game. But I agree with you that there is potentially an opportunity here for the passing game because the Eagles are banged up on defense. Their defensive front only has two sacks thus far. They are ranked near the bottom of the league in passing yards allowed. If there's a game for this Packers offense to hit on some explosive plays in the passing game and really try to generate some momentum here with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur's offense, I think Think I think this is the one, even though I hesitate to say that because <coughs> you just played a game a couple of days ago and you just physically it's always hard to say just where the players are going to be on a Thursday night game. Absolutely, and and not that you can ever draw any parallels between three years ago and today, but one of my big guys for this matchup I think is Devontae Adams. I mean he had sort of his coming out party against the Eagles and during that run the table in 2016 where it's like okay this guy that Monday night game in Philly that started that run yeah yeah. this guy is going to be one of the the league's elite I mean he's going to be a cut above I mean you go back to that game five catches 113 yards two touchdowns and that was one of you know that was a defense that was on the precipice of being really special now they're a bit older now when you look at the Eagles there was one stat I was looking at I think they have something like is it nine or ten guys that are above 29 years old or something like that on that defense and you know there is something to be said for that you can win with a veteran scheme but you know a lot of times that means a tick slower so I just a lot has been made this past week in particular about Adams and his touches and his catches and all that you know targets the the realistic thing is is you know last year he did have 111 catches I I don't think you can always just be anticipate anticipating a guy's going to dominate that much offensively yeah because it is a chess game. I mean, there's going to be counters to that. We're seeing some of that early this season. That being said, I'm very intrigued of what the Packers could do with him moving forward, how you move him around. We've seen him in the slot already. We saw him in the backfield once. I just think we're getting really close here to one of those big Devontae Adam breakout games. Even 15 catches, 198 yards, that's nothing to you know bat your eye at. I mean, that's still on pace for 70 or whatever it is for the season, over 1,000 yards. 
But I just feel like that big Devontae Adams game is coming, and this could be one that uh, potentially him and Aaron Rodgers find it. Yeah, well, I looked up some stats with regards to Adams. He does not ha- does does not have a touchdown yet this season, and the last time he had gone three straight games without a touchdown catch, you have to go all the way back to 2015 when he was when he was playing hurt, and actually the last time. He's he had even gone back to back games without a touchdown catch. You have to go back to the first two games that Aaron Rodgers missed in 2017 wow. after the broken collarbone for him to even go two straight games without a touchdown. So I agree with you. Maybe we're on the verge of a breakout here because Devontae Adams is just that good and you can't keep a player that good down for that long. The other thing I will say offensively with regards to this game is we had talked about in the Denver game and Aaron Rodgers made a point of it, obviously, about how well the offensive line played, keeping yeah. him clean. He only took the one hit the whole game, no sacks, all of that. As I mentioned before, this Philadelphia Eagles defensive front only has two sacks thus far. Jim Schwartz, their defensive coordinator, if there is a guy with a reputation as a gambler, yeah. as a defensive coordinator, it's Jim Schwartz. And you combine that mentality with the fact that the Eagles are coming into Lambeau Field at 1-2, and two, desperate almost in a sense to at least get to the 500 mark at the quarter pole of the season to win this game and get to two and two Jim Schwartz might be taking some chances in this game and that puts a big premium on the Packers offensive line to figure out where the blitzes are coming from to pick things up and to have as solid a game in front of Aaron Rodgers as they had last week it's an excellent point Mike because what's the number one thing a lot of defensive coordinators are prone to do when they're beat up in the secondary or maybe they don't have the depth that they want there start throwing more of the kitchen sinks at offensive fronts. Yep. This could definitely be that type of thing, especially, I mean, it is sort of a chicken and an egg, and it is a dangerous proposition, you know, to be going with five, six, and even occasionally a seven-man blitz front. You can't live in those packages, but they can give you problems in the interim. So, And with as much as the Packers have struggled on third downs. Uh, you know, Jim yeah. Schwartz might be looking at third downs as, hey, these are the opportunities not just to get stops, but to make the plays that can change the game. I just think he might be coming into this game with that type of mentality. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because that type of mentality, there is a counterpunch to that as well, right? You start sending more guys. Maybe that frees up Devontae Adams in one-on-one. You can see what Marquez Valdez-Scantling in two of these first three games can do downfield when he gets one-on-one coverage and gets behind a secondary, uh, gets behind a safety. Uh, Danny Vitale, I talked about it in our Three Things video with John and Larry. I felt like that 27-yard wheel route We all laughed about the fact that it was a couple inches shy of the end zone, but I thought that was really important to put on film because now inside linebackers and safeties have to be cognizant of where he is when he's trickling out of the backfield. You had Jamal Williams coming underneath. I get what the stats are with the Packers' offense right now, but I I do like that they've shown these different facets of it. And these are all the things that when Schwartz devises his game plan that he's going to have to take into account for exactly how he wants to attack this offense. Yeah, all right. Well, before we move on to the Packers' defense, a little bit of sponsor business. Select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering catering or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you. When you order online at CousinSubs.com, Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Okay, defensively here for the Packers, Wes, um... Eight takeaways, 12 sacks in the first three games by Mike Pettin's crew. If you can keep up that kind of a pace, and that's saying a lot, but if you can keep up that kind of a pace, boy, that uh, that goes a long way to chalking up victories. Yeah, you know, if you end up leading the league in takeaways and you're second <laughs> in sacks and, and third in points allowed or second in points allowed, 
that is going to go a long way in winning ball games. But this is what is really important. There, there are two big components to this for the defense. They, they have to stay healthy. It has to stay healthy. I mean, the, the way that they're performing right now, this has a real opportunity for it to be a special unit. I mean, I wrote about it earlier this week. We didn't really have a chance to talk about it because it didn't really come up. But, you know, I, I put it in my, my locker room report on Sunday about, you know, everything just has gone right for these guys, right? And everybody's so happy. But it wasn't always that way, right? I mean, you heard a lot of things that Aaron Rodgers said throughout the preseason in training camp, and then they go into Baltimore and Lamar Jackson and the Ravens kind of run over them a little bit. Yeah. And the veterans on that team, not one particular player, basically a veteran from each group, pulled those guys together. They flew back from Baltimore 3 o'clock in the morning, sat down here at Lambeau Field and reviewed the film, the 22 snaps that they played, because they all wanted to communicate what each other was thinking when they missed the tackle or missed a read. There's just so much synergy with this defense right now that, you know, uh, you heard the story about Zadarius taking out uh, the starting de- or out the entire defense for dinner last week. Yeah. And it wasn't just about going and, hey, I'm a captain, I got a lead. It was, you know, we're going to go talk football. We're going to put up a projector and watch Thursday night football. We're going to just, you know, try to get to know each other better. If you keep those pieces healthy, Mike, I just think that it, you're going to have ebbs and flows to a season. Right. But the most impressive thing to me right now when I see Zadarius Smith, when I see Preston Smith, when I see Adrian Amos, these guys aren't looking for stats to validate contracts. It doesn't matter if they get a sack or not. It doesn't matter if they get an interception or not. The way that they're performing is making the defense better. Now, yeah. the stats are the end product of that, but I just when I see these guys playing, it's not that, oh, they need to go get a sack to, to do that. It's what they're doing every single play to affect the play. If you keep those 11 guys you know, on the field together – Watch out. Yeah, well, here's here's my question right now with regards to the Packers' defense, and I'm not sure – I just don't know that much about Philadelphia's offense and where they are right now because of the injuries they've had at wide receiver and yeah. everything else. But the last two opponents the Packers have faced have run the ball pretty well. We saw Dalvin Cook with the 75-yard touchdown right. run and had about a 150-yard game. Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman combined for about 160 yards rushing. Now, they didn't have any explosives. They ran the ball, I think it was 36, 38 times, something like that. So they just kept grinding away at, you know, four or five yards a crack. What does the Packers' defense need to do to not let the opposing team's ground game, you know, dictate things maybe quite so much as what we've seen the last two weeks. You have to win up front and in the trenches. And I think this is the one thing that's been sort of the drawback here for Green Bay is that three-man rush and dime packages has been exceptional. They're getting more pressure out of that package than any other time that I can remember. Yeah. Uh, when they go four-man rush, they can win with even fronts. You've seen some of the, you know, the sabermetric uh, kind of, you know, next-gen stats talking about how much the Packers are winning without having to send the blitzer. Yeah. But the other thing, the other component about this is gap integrity and making sure that you hold up, you know, your edges and, and not allowing guys to seep through. That was, I thought, honestly, against Minnesota, I thought they played pretty well. They gave up the 75-yarder, but for the most part, I felt like they contained it. The one thing that was tough about that game against the Broncos is, whether it was Freeman or whether it was Lindsey, they just were able to extend runs a yard or two more than you wanted them to. They, yep. they didn't get those tackles for loss as much as they needed to. They didn't get as many of those second and nine situations. Just always seemed like they were sitting in second and six, third and five, and that makes it a little bit more difficult in terms of trying to stop them on third down. Yeah. I think the key is being able to, to close that up. Now, 
they've had some moving parts. You had B.J. Goodson jumping in there now after he got you know traded to Green Bay at the beginning of September. Uh, certainly, you know Raven Green, who I thought played exceptional in that game against Chicago. Well, he's out of the equation now for at least the next eight weeks, uh, depending on how that plays out for his ankle injury. So. I just think if you get back to playing the run that these the way that they feel that they can play it, there is an opportunity here because Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard are off to a slow start too. Yeah, it was interesting. I went through the defensive film against the Denver Broncos and it reinforced for me how much of a team effort run defense is in this league because when the Broncos were getting some, I won't say explosive runs, but when they were getting those seven and eight yard yeah. runs, the ones you were talking about, they were going the like move a the yard, chains runs. Yeah, the, yeah. the yard or two, you know, farther than you want. It was, it, it was just one guy, you know. It was one play where Dean Lowry maybe gets shoved out of his gap a little bit too far. There's one play where Kenny Clark gets double teamed and kind of gets spun around, and then the running back runs yep. right past him. You know, another play maybe it's uh, you know maybe it's Blake Martinez or B.J. Goodson, you know, getting getting caught up in the wash so to speak in the middle of things. All it takes is one guy being not quite in the right position, and then. Lindsay and Freeman were taking advantage yeah. of that. They had the vision to see where it was, and then boom, they hit it, and and you know they get an eight or a nine yard run or something like that. It just go it just goes to show how much of a collective effort run defense is, and you have that you have that one little breakdown, and suddenly another team can start to move the chains and control the tempo with the ground game. The other part of it, of course, is that because the Packers offense hasn't quite found its footing. If the Packers' offense is doing what you're hoping that they can do through the second and third quarters of that game, then maybe the Broncos can't stick with the run right. quite as long to stay to stay in the game. I was you know, sort of so. surprised how they did stick with it, though. Oh, they even did. When they, they, they stuck with it. Even they stuck when they were down all the way. two scores in the fourth quarter, I was like, okay, well, now they're going to see No, they no, just they kept, kept running they it. They kept running yeah. it. But, yeah, but the score is 24-10 to 10 in the third quarter, right. and they put together the long drive. They got the touchdown on the fourth and goal. They were still using the running game at, at that point if you know if the Packers offense does one more thing prior to that and maybe makes it a three score game in the second half if you're up by 17 instead of by 14 then that changes how the opposing offensive coordinator looks at things as well so all of, all of this stuff goes hand in hand but uh, um, but really it just seemed like against the Broncos if there was one guy who got shoved out of a gap or something boom like that's where they hit it and uh, um, Packer, it's it's just every guy has to really be on top of his game when you're facing these good running teams. Yeah, and I tip my cap to you know Tyler Lancaster and Fidel Brown, and obviously the rotation they had going in with that base. But I mean, they did lose Montrevious Adams for that game with the shoulder. You're probably not going to get him back for this one. He's yeah, been estimated as not. a DMP this week. Uh, I think Montrevious has played really well, and I, I like him in that role because he's sort of a clog. You know, he's he clogs stuff, but yet he, there's some athleticism there too. Uh, that that's I feel like very subtly that's that's been a little bit of a loss there. So you're gonna need guys to step up in those moments. And the other thing is too, I mean, just get back to your fundamentals, right? I mean, it's, it's the gang tackling. It's not allowing guys to you know break it along the sidelines when a guy gets out. Um, that was one of the things I did think that Denver did really well. It wasn't just the between the tackle stuff. They mm -hmm. got guys open in space and made people miss. Now, there's a guy on Philadelphia's side that's 36 years old, and he's been doing this for a long time in Darren Sproles that the Packers are well familiar with. And that's another player in this game I think they're going to have to be cognizant of. I think you look at Zach Ertz. He's off to a slower start than he was last year, but that's a big win condition there for, for Carson Wentz. So while you're probably not going to see Deshaun Jackson and Elshon Jeffrey is going to be coming back, um, 
so there will be that component to it. There are a lot of players that I feel like can still be dangerous for this Eagles offense, and with Carson Wentz behind the controls, you can't overlook it. Yeah, all right. Well, before we go here, Wes, anybody who's kind of your behind-the-scenes potential unsung hero, the guy nobody's talking about in this matchup that maybe shows up and uh, makes a big play or does something big on Thursday night? I, I think Robert Tanyan's right there. Okay. And we're going to see uh, exactly what happens with Jimmy Graham. He's dealing with a groin and a quad injury right now was estimated as a non-participant Monday, was then upgraded to limited. So we'll see exactly where he is at. But, man, I just think the narrative changes 180%. You know, if you're able to catch that 43-yarder there, Tanyan doesn't kind of, you know, press the brake a little bit and then close to the ball after looking for it. If you're able to keep that in stride, I think that would have been a really explosive play, not only for the offense but for that tight end position group. Tanyan, I think there's going to be opportunities for him in this game. I think the way that the defense is constructed with Schwartz, you can win in the middle of the field. So I guess if I had to pick one, I'm not saying he's going to have 100 yards. You don't need 100 yards. But, I mean, you get that 28-yard catch like he did a couple weeks ago that can open up a drive. That can make all the difference. Yeah, the guy I'm going to keep an eye on in this one, I think, is Tremont Williams. And I say that for mainly this reason. Adrian Amos had the pick in week one. Kevin King had the pick in week two. Darnell Savage has a pick in week three, and Jair Alexander has the strip fumble recovery. So which guy who's playing a lot of snaps in the secondary, whose turn is it, right? It's Tremont Williams. So I'll go, I'll go, I'll go with him. He's a, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he's, he's such a, a glue guy in a sense for, for the secondary. And we haven't seen him make any big plays yet. And I just think, uh, you know, maybe it's time for number 38 to show up. I do have to slightly disagree with you. I mean, the play against Allen Robinson was pretty, no, that's true, but it wasn't a takeaway, right? It wasn't a turnover play, but yes, you're right. That play, that play in week one down the sideline against Chicago, that was a big time play by the veteran there. Not to correct you, but yeah, in terms of takeaways, he's still looking for that. Absolutely. (laughs) The other thing I got to just touch on really quickly here, Zach Ertz is a problem. And, you know, not just for the Packers, for the NFL. You saw that last season. Yeah, the the guy's a matchup issue. Green Bay needs to stay up on him. You know, Blake Martinez was talking. He saw plenty of him in college. So whether it's Martinez, whether it's Tremont, whether it's Adrian Amos, or maybe even Josh Jackson as he's rotated in in kind of a safety-type role in the dime, whoever comes across his coverage – has to stay up on their keys because it just he can hurt you in so many different ways. That was such a safety blanket, uh, not only for Nick Foles and, and Wentz, but you know you just see how this offense flows uh, when he's going. You cannot let him get get uh, his wind in his sails there to uh, you know make a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. That's one of the matchups in this game that I'm I'm really interested to see just how Mike Pettin decides to play that with Ertz. Who does he want to have primary responsibility on him? Is he going to keep changing it up in terms of whether it's a linebacker or a safety or or how is he going to go about that there? Because that is that is one guy. Sproles is obviously another one. Yeah. But Ertz is a guy who's uh, who's one of those chess piece type of players in uh, in the X's and O's that uh, that you, you got to find a you got to find an answer for him, even if it's not the same answer on yeah. every snap. You got to find an answer for a guy and like that. With all due respect to Kyle Rudolph, um, you know they really haven't. The Packers haven't seen like an elite type tight end yet. They missed Trey Burton in Week One. Uh, Rudolph is at a, that point in his career where he's not quite as explosive as a guy like Ertz. And then you know Denver's working through the issues that they have at that spot. So I just think this is a new element. It's a new wrinkle, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just curious to see how the Packers contend with it. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we'll call it a wrap. 
on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of Thursday night's big game from Lambeau Field on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, if you will, on Twitter. He's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you.